Alright, what's up guys? Uh, I'm Nikhil. Yeah, I'm Francisco. And welcome to our coronavirus stay at home edition of our newest episode. Uh, today we'll be doing Fate. So we're doing Fate Zero and Fate Stay Night, as well as a few other honorable mentions that will be mentioned later on in the episode. Yeah, well specifically we're only going to be touching on the uh, Ufotable Fate, so Unlimited Blade Works, right? Yeah, Unlimited Blade Works and... Uh, and Fate Zero. Um, hope before we begin, uh, we hope you guys are all doing well and uh, staying safe and staying inside. That's like the most important thing. Uh, we know that right now it's not the best time, and we know that a lot of people are going through things, us included. But uh, we'll get through this hopefully, and uh, yeah, um, hopefully you guys are doing well, uh, and we're glad you're listening to us. Yeah, for sure. Also, students, the um, the question of if we're going to even continue going to school in person in the fall is still up in the air. I think for our school, you mentioned it, Kayla, it's going to be on March 12th. They said that, but then I read another article actually like today where they said that Illinois is going to be open next semester. So oh, I'm that, really... That's exciting for you, right? I do. I really I... want it to be open, man. But we'll see. We'll see. Uh, at this point, I'm just taking it week by week. I'm not gonna try yeah, to raise my expectations at this point. But yeah, so uh, enjoy our stay-at-home edition of uh, Fate. Uh, no, we hope you guys like it. Yeah, we should probably get a quick, quick uh, cast on what Fate is. Um, I'll, I'll let you know what you can go ahead. Oh. You recently watched it. I know I watched it like about a year and a half ago. Wait, I thought you were rewatching it with me. Okay, whatever. Um, I did rewatch Zero with you, but I'm saying like initially my watch was okay. a while back. So my key takeaways of Fate. Fate is a very interesting anime in my opinion because the concept itself is very interesting. It pulls from ancient mythology and gets these really famous characters, aka like King Arthur, uh, King Alexander, etc., etc., Alexander the Conqueror. And uh, they become superhero-esque, and they work with these casters, or like people who are involved in a gigantic war that, it's not even that big, which is really weird, but they're involved in a war where they have to kill each other to get something called the Holy Grail. The Holy Grail can, or is supposed to, grant them any wish that they desire. In reality, the Holy Grail is a very corrupted piece of magic that should not... It doesn't really do that, and that's not its purpose. Um, it's shown throughout the show that... It's mentioned throughout the show that that's not really what the Holy Grail is, and we don't really know, or we don't really understand the Holy Grail until the end of Fate Zero, and then I really began to understand why the Holy Grail was really, really bad during Unlimited Blade Works when I watched it. Because they break it down really well in that show of, like, how the Holy Grail is basically just um, the innate, like, human desire. It's, it's, it's like, it's just selfishness and, like, all the old previous contestants, all their deaths and everything, their souls, they're all in there. And it's just greed. That's what the Holy Grail essentially is. It doesn't yeah. actually grant wishes. That's just a hoax. Um, they can grant wishes or just... I mean, what was it for Kiritsugo, the Effectively, the protagonist in part one or zero, his wish could have been granted, but it was going to be granted in a very corrupt manner. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's just. It's not. Uh. It's not the. 
what people think of it, it, it doesn't actually make it go through. You think it's going to be like a one, one-to-one wish-granting device? It is not. Yeah. And that's uh, that's huge because it, every single one of the characters, there's a purpose for them to be in the war. For Kuritsuko, he's a very utilitarian guy. For him, it's like if you could save 101 people in conscious to 100 people do it at a, in a heartbeat, doesn't matter what, he just wants people and humanity as a whole to find peace, you know? But he was going to use the grill to fulfill that war peace whatnot. I think, that, is, I think um, that brings up a really yeah, interesting huh? point with, uh, with the, I think it's the trolley problem, where you have, like, you can either save one person or you can save, like, ten people. Which one would you do? Um, yeah, and he definitely so, falls in the line of, if I save even one more person, I'll, I'm going to pick the, the solution, least travel, you know? Yeah, I mean, respectable, honestly. Yeah. So, I want to ask you, Nikhil, since you gave a nice rundown, um, what did you know about Faith before coming into, you know, before actually watching the franchise? I knew nothing. I only knew the opening, and that was it. I was recommended Faith by, like, five, I think five different people before I came to the show. I was, well, I was told to watch it. I knew it was an isekai, and I knew that... Wait, wait, it's not an isekai, it's not an isekai. Wait, kind of. Would you argue it's an isekai? Hmm... Because in Isekai, on definition, is like being transported into a different world, right? And these are just re- reanimated heroes from the past. Right? A few, a few, a few people uh, did tell me it was an Isekai before I watched it. Actually, people you know, yeah. your future roommate How- told me it was an Isekai. Uh, no, no, I'm just no, saying. No. But um. How do you feel? How do you feel? Does it meet the condition to be an Isekai in your opinion? Well, an Isekai. You just said, right? The direct definition is when they're transported into another world. Technically, the mythological creatures were transported into another world. The, if you look at it from their perspective, it is an isekai. But obviously, we're not given that. We're, we're given our perspective from different people. So it's not an isekai. It's it's, it's just like broad... In, in my opinion, it's just broad fantasy. Um, yeah, it's definitely fantasy. If it, like, in its loosely isekai, only in the fact that these are heroes from the past and or future or whatever, right? The only difference is that they still remain in our like plane, except that the time they're they're displaced from their time, which is kind of you can definitely argue that that's like one hundred percent a different place in, entirely, you know. Mm-hmm. Just like medieval back then is one hundred percent different from modern society as it as it is now. But overall, I I'm gonna go with it's not, and you said. No, right? I um, said no because it all depends on perspective. Perspective is very important. And how would you best describe it then? Now I, that you I, w- I would just say it's a fantasy show. 100% fantasy? How similar do you think it is to something like Game of Thrones? Because I've, I've heard people mention that if you like Game of Thrones, um, then Fate Zero would be a good show to watch. You would probably enjoy it. Actually, it has a lot of things similar to it. Um, what's really similar to it is um in game of thrones the whole premise is like they're chasing a throne right they're chasing the throne of westeros um in fate they're chasing the chalice so in my opinion those were the those really were the only two similarities because i felt like Mm -hmm. the 
actual concept of it was really different from Game of Thrones. The premise for sure. The but the premise was definitely there. Like the like I think it's a very generic premise where like everyone's kind of fighting over chasing one thing. That's been done yeah. in a lot of not like only TV shows, Royale. movies. The, yeah, the the whole concept of a battle royale is a very big thing. Um so that that concept is there, but I think it's actually pretty different from Game of Thrones. I don't think it's very similar. I, I like um, the fact that there's a different multiple players involved and it's uh, the fantasy aspect of it is usually in addition to the lore of course is something that's the similarities that I see when someone mentions Game of Thrones and Fate Zero because they're both pretty they're definite fantasy so if you enjoy stuff like that you're probably the, 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 the transition would be alright and the magic system used in both is pretty soft it's not too difficult to understand what's going on I say that, but then again, what do you think about the magic magic system that they use? Like summoning, the the lore is pretty deep, but the base of the grill summoning, choosing seven masters and then giving them seven servants from history, which are probably historical figures, heroes, conquerors, and whatnot, and then having them fight. I actually simple to understand, right? Yeah, I kind of like I got that part. But what was really complicated was the magic. Because, like, there was a lot of yeah. aspects in the magic that you didn't really know. For example, the last fight in... Okay, this is a spoiler. But the last fight in... Um, like, the last, last fight between the two girls in the... In Unlimited Blade Works. Um, oh, where they yeah. got, like... Where they, like, glowed up and they, like... They got, like, superhuman strength and stuff. I didn't really understand any of that. Like, it was... the. I feel like the magic... Like, we... The fate in general just touches this, like the surface, but doesn't really dive super deep into the magic because it focuses a lot more on the world and like the world the building aspect of it and the storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, this goes back to the director of Fate Zero and the writer Gen Noriuchi. And originally, we can this goes back into the games themselves. Fate as a franchise originally was a was a visual novel, mm-hmm. and it was um published by type moon right mm-hmm. and type moon has this expanded universe and within that universe the fate franchise is a small pretty small story into the main story so it's uh it's a divergent point and it's just the premise that the guy that the author thought he, and he wrote about it right and he published a, a book or he published a vision and within that game you have three different routes and the magic system used in that game is related because it's in the same universe to the type moon universe so within fate the magic system isn't really touched up on much on it it's more of in the video game aspect which this is a perfect chance to mention within the video games you know how games have occasionally different routes depending on your choices within games the fate fate state has three different routes and the Unlimited Blade Works is the adaptation of the second route. And the original route, Fate's Day, is, was adapted by Studio Dean back in 2006. And yeah, I, uh, I, Yubi, I was told not to watch that by you. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's not, it's difficult, man. It's also the fact that you saw Fate Zero and you... You, you photable the studio also made unlimited, so the transition between animation would be smooth. It definitely was also, easier. Yeah. It oh yeah. The direct prequel. Speaking about that, um, I do know that the Heavens Feel third movie got delayed. 
Um, I I know, and I know yeah. that third Heaven's Field is the third route, where you yeah. get it all from Saku. No, I forgot her name. Yeah, Sakura. Sakura. Sakura, so Sakura like, is a uh, point I, of view, which I think is kind of cool. I think it's an appropriate time that to mention that the visual novels are also erotica in nature. So they, it takes the perspective of a guy, right? And then you pretty much court three different women in the first round. The guy's courting his servant, which is King Arthur. Right. And the yeah. second one, it's Rintosuka, which is one of the daughters of, in Fate Zero, she's one of the daughters of one of the masters that participated in the war who went into direct conflict with the father of the protagonist of the Fate State franchise. And then, again, it's another chick in the Heaven's Fear route, the third route, Sakura, which is the sister of Rin. So pretty much it's just a harem. Yeah. But that's not... Yeah, <laughs> it's, we're yeah. not going to deny that. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much that. But, um... What is your what is What is your take on Watch Order? Because I know that if you watch it, like as it comes out. I think that, that was a really interesting point you made. You told me to watch Fate Zero, then Unlimited Blade Works, and then watch, like, everything else. Um, yeah. What if you watched, for example, uh, if you watched it in watch order, so Blade Works, and then Fate Zero, and then you watch everything else, do you think that that would still be a viable way to watch the, the show, or is that, I like, I have some no? friends who play the visual novels, and they enjoy the visual novels, they, it's cool with that, but for Watch Order, I for sure, it's definitely Fate Zero, because I think narratively that's the strongest, because the the, the writer, the, the writer saw Fate Stay, the video game, and he curated specific events and plot points that he found very interesting, and he used those as the base to make a story in Fate Zero, mm-hmm. which directly connects to Fate Stay. He, he, he saw some of the interesting aspects, like for example, Rin Tosuka's father, and the fact there's a bunch of characters that do connect, and he was able to wave a pretty interesting narrative with that, even though that the original author didn't see that happen, he just mentioned that there was a war that happened previously. Mm-hmm. Because the Fate War within Universe has happened approximately by the time that Fate Zero starts, four times. And that's because no one, there has been no definitive winner in the previous three incarnations of the war, so the force comes up and it just repeats until there's a definite winner and then it just ends. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's really cool because the premise itself of being of having seven masters with different different goals, reaching a single wish granting device, and then the addition of having these servants being summoned from the past is super interesting because there's a lot of different dynamics that you can write within the different summon servants with their masters and then the masters with the other masters. For example, Genorobuchi, there was three kings that were summoned in the fourth course, so Fate Zero, and those three kings at one point met and, and spoke about their ideologies of what it meant to rule. Um, do you remember that, that, that engagement? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, what, what did you think of that? I thought it was really interesting because... I mean, it makes sense, though, when you think about it, right? Because, like, each of them come from a different era, and they each have different perceptions of what it means to rule. And I honestly thought, like, one of my favorite scenes, um, you brought that, uh, now that you brought that up, one of my favorite scenes was when um, the, the Alexander, the King of Conquerors, he, 
he he talks to he talks to King Arthur and he's like this is why you cannot win the hearts of men and this is why I can do it and then he details and like the way he described it was so human because it was so true right like when you think about it the way you win over someone's heart is by relating to them on some level when you say you yeah. are I am like you you can easily win over their heart when you say you are yeah, above them and when you have a clear rift in personalities and like just a clear rift in general between the other person or under your leadership, you're just not going to be able to connect with them, connect with them well. If you can't empathize with your subjects or the people you're working with or the people under you, they're never going to listen to you. So I think it was really well put when the King of Congress was like, because the people under me listened to me, they followed me without any doubt without any fears and they did they did it because they had loyalty but with king arthur that wasn't the case because she created a very obvious like a huge rift between her and like so many other people and it's shown by who berserker is um spoiler i will not say who it is but it's it's an important plot point and yeah. i think that it's, it's it's very obviously shown and i think it's a really good point that he brings up that at the end of the day we're all human and it's important to treat like the people you are with like that instead of either looking down upon them or thinking of yourself as higher yeah king arthur didn't it was the fact that king arthur was just almost a perfect king that it was difficult for her subjects you know yeah in the end king arthur failed to protect britain and their wish king arthur's wish is to go back to britain to be able to redo what they consider to be their failure you know Right, exactly. But King King um Alexander, he wants to use the wish to be reborn so that he can conquer the the modern the modern society. So he just wants he doesn't want to redo what he did in the past. He wants to continue with his life while the king of king well the king of king of knights, which is King Arthur, wants to want it's weird because if you compare King the King of Conquerors and the King of King of Knights. The King of Knights 100% cares about the well-being of their people a lot more than the King of Conquerors, but the King of Conquerors, Alexander... He won their hearts, man. Their subjects... Yeah, their subjects within the context of the story loves him. And it was really cool and interesting, and his um, method of leading is that he takes what he wants, and he does so so that so that his subjects envy him, and I, they want to be him. Dude, you know what the craziest thing about that was? Um, so I later actually did some reading on my own about, uh, Alexander, because I was really curious about it. Um, and in real life, Alexander was exactly like that too. He was, he was, he was envied and feared, but he was also great. Um, when he conquered, like, almost like, he went all the way to India. He was insane. And, um, when I was reading about that, I thought it was really cool that, they, they were able to include that really well in the anime itself. Or they showed that really well with the King of Conquerors, where, like, they made it so, like, it's very obvious, like, his charisma, his, like, what he's done kind of propels him forward. And um, in history, it's shown that that's, that was also the case with the actual Alexander, uh, who once was alive. Which, I don't know, I think that was, I think that was fantastic, that, that they played that, played that out really well. It's, it's, 
100% King Alexander, he and his his master Waver are the heart of Phase Zero. 100%, like, yeah. They were my favorite Phase characters, hands down. Dark. I know, man. Because Phase Zero, it's a, it, inherently it's a tragedy, right? It like, is. The, the guy you're following is not going to get anything that he that he decides to happen to him. Dude, but, no one no one in that no show one. had a good ending. The only person who had a good ending was a Waver, and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> when you think about it. So it's like... It was so... Yeah, dude. The Waver went into it because he wanted to be acknowledged, right? He wanted to be someone, and I think that's very relatable. Yeah, he, the dude came from, like, the magic school, and it was just known, and he stole the... The code from his professor who was going to participate in the war he summoned alexander and he just wanted to be known because he's a he's a low-tier mage who doesn't have any potential right exactly all he has is theory that's all he has he just has theory and he's he has a difficult time having that charisma and he summons the perfect foil to himself someone who just oozes out charisma and he just learns from this guy and it's one of the greatest scenes is at the end we mentioned within they were talking right there was three kings who, who met that day the King of Conquerors, which is Alexander, the King of Knights, which is Arturia, and the final king that we haven't really mentioned because I find it difficult, but a lot of people enjoy this guy. It's the King of Kings. I don't like him. But But like really enjoy He's he's an inherently kingdom. unliked character though. He's not like a yeah. he's not a uh, he's not a bad character. It's just, he has no empathy for humans, though. Yeah, sure. and, like, see, that goes back to the fact that, like, see, they're all, all three of them have very, dis, like, very distinct values in terms of they're really different and that the way they view the world are very different. And it's really what, what, what I think was cool was each of them kind of represent, a, like, they represented three different ways to lead, like, the three main ways to lead, right? One was, um, you are above everyone, you are God. The other one, and like everyone should subjugate to myself. The other one was empathize with your subjects so that way you can win their heart. And the other one was I will fight with you and I will die with you, but I will not care about you. And I think it's really interesting that there was like three different like parallels of leadership. And obviously, I feel like on honestly for story reasons, yeah, King Arthur technically one ish. But the King of Conquer should have won because his right, like his his way, I think was the most human out of all of them, or like it was the most fair. It was very doable. Yeah, actually, I found a I found a quote that actually was looking for that had the envy thing. It's like a king must live a life more vivid than any other and be figure for all to admire. The king is the one who collects the envy of all of his heroes and stands as their guide. Therefore, the king is not alone, for his will equals that of his followers combined. Yeah, I thought I thought that was really cool. Like he had the backing of like a millions of people. Um, he was never yeah, alone. His, and that that was really sick. Yeah, his noble phantasm. That's something else that we didn't mention, which is goes back to the magic system. All these all these heroes that get summoned have these like like their trump cards are called the noble phantasm, and they represent an aspect of themselves when they were alive. One one huge thing on the Holy Grail War is if you want to learn, if you want to win like any war, you need to have information, right? And one of the biggest informations that you can have on someone is the name of their summon hero. Because with that you get the you get a loads of information. You get 
to understand what kind of person they were in addition to what kind of noble phantasm they might have, mm -hmm. right? And King of a Standard, his noble phantasm, he just took the person or whoever he's fighting, right, into this desert-like location and was next to him is every single one of the people that followed him mm -hmm. when he was alive. And each, each single one of these people by themselves are qualified to be summoned as heroes within the war. So they're all at a point that they can compete with the best, and he just leads every single one of them. So it's it's phenomenal that his noble phantasm is he summons his army pretty much and everyone that followed him through during his life. In contrast to someone like King Alexander, his well, their noble phantasm is well Excalibur, you know, the the sword. And then the King of Kings, Gilgamesh, is a bit more difficult to understand. Supposedly, he owns everything in the planet, so his noble phantasm is just an inventory of different noble phantasm that he just shoots out at people, which is interesting, but it's whatever. I think it's, I think it's, in, yeah, it's definitely interesting. Yeah, that's something, yeah, we're, we're spending a lot of time on Zero for definite I'm gonna be really here. I think Zero is objectively yeah. the best fate. Um, I, I, okay, I haven't watched Heaven's Field, so I I have a plan to watch Heaven's Field, and that's to watch all three of them at once. Um, when the third movie comes out. Um, Heaven's Field being a third route. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna definitely watch the third route. I'm just waiting for like the third movie to come out so I can watch all of them at once, so I don't have to wait because I don't like that. Um, I'm a very impatient person, um, but. I think that the Fate Zero was definitely the best out of what I watched because Fate but Zero had a lot of parallels and a lot of really interesting points. I but I will say this: my favorite character in Unlimited Blade Works for a lot of reasons was Archer. Um, I think it's a very popular opinion. I wouldn't know actually. I don't really like. I didn't read any Archer. of the subreddits or anything. I didn't really like look into it. But for me, my favorite character was archer because archer kind of represented like all the flaws that come with believing that you can save everyone and i yeah, think sure. it was but more than that right his whole mentality was like i killed 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 and i never like found myself in all of this i was still like he was still like fighting to find um who he was which i think is a really cool concept and it was played really well with archer um and archer's whole like well, we, you know Shtick. It just hit me. We never mentioned. So the servants are summoned, but they're summoned in different classes. And Archer is one of the classes that a servant can be summoned in. For example, King Alexander was summoned as the Rider class. Yeah. And King Arthur was summoned as the Saber class, which is the sword, whatever. But I think that's important to mention because Archer, his name, in addition, in addition to being a big spoiler, like who he is. Is important that we like refer to him as Archer. Yeah. It's for an unlimited blade words, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's another thing. Um, Gero Bucci saw the whole the, the protagonist of the Fate Stay, Fate Stay in the original visual novel in the video game, whatever. His whole thing was, I, I want to be a hero like my dad. And in the three routes, it shows three different aspects of being a hero. And in the unlimited blade works, for example. He compromises and he accepts that if I want to be a hero, I can't save everyone. And the first route, which is super important, um, he, he he ends up believing that he can save everyone. And 
of course, in the last round, it's that I will save one person, even if it means everyone else goes to shit. So that's um that's how the that's how the hero philosophy for the character changes throughout the three rounds. I think that's really I think that's correct. You see like three different versions of him, and you can kind of like pick and choose which one you kind of want to believe is the right route. Which and Genrobuchi took that aspect of a hero and gave one to his dad or who to his adopted dad, which is Kuritu, which is the kind of protagonist in part one, and the guy we mentioned who's a utilitarian, who's like, if I have, if I can save one more person over. Like, if I can save 11 people over 10, I, I choose saving 11 people, you know? It was very logical. And I, I had a lot of respect yeah. for that. I I definitely think being logical in the scenario who was presented is correct. Or the scenarios yeah, I got, who was presented is correct. I got was suppressed, dude. He was, uh... I mean, his whole, his whole mentality and everything was obviously really, really screwed up. And I think once you saw his story and, like, what he did, um, it <laughs> makes a lot of sense... But I think that for what he could have become, it's definitely not the worst. So yeah. I think, like, the fact that he's acting logically, I think, makes, like, it, 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 it makes it really interesting because Saber, or, like, King Arthur, uh, yeah, thinks a lot more with the her, servant. the servant, yeah, she, she thinks a lot more with her emotions, um, and I find, what was really cool to me was in Fate Zero, each of the servants and the main people who were in the Holy Grail, Holy Grail War, they kind of paralleled each other. Almost everyone. The only exception was Caster. Caster did not. Uh, Caster was just a really screwed up character. I, oh my god. Um, but almost every character paralleled each other. And I thought it was really, really cool. Because, like, each of them had a flaw, but then the the crazy part was almost all of them eventually either died or attained what their servant kind of was. So Kiritsugo, for example, he always thought with like logic and reasoning, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But towards the end, when he like, for example, when he dug the kid out and when he adopted, I keep forgetting his name. But Shiro, Shiro, the protagonist of Fate stays, uh, Shiro. Shiro, yeah, yeah. So when he adopted Shiro and stuff, he became emotionally started to think with like instead of logic, he was like, okay, now I'm like living for someone, and now I yeah. actually have like emotion. Um, writer, uh, writer, no waiver, waiver, waiver was also another big example of that, right? Because he had like he was like, oh, I want to be someone, I want to be respected, and that was his whole thing. And then in Unlimited Blade Works. He becomes one of the most respected people in the magic, like magic thing. Um, yeah, magic academy, whatever. Yeah, magic academy. Yeah, and so it's. I think it's really interesting to see those parallels, and they're all like they're all like parallel of their characters almost perfectly. Yeah. Um, it's a good tight knit universe, you know, like with the with the two movies, with the two shows at least. It's like you get a good feel of what's going on. Oh, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. Do you? I really, uh, I remember, like, right after I finished watching Blade Works, I texted you about, like, this really interesting, like, I thought it was, like, there was a lot of Christian-esque concepts in it. Yeah. And I remember uh, um, talking to you about it. I mean, you didn't agree, but, like... I didn't agree, but I do agree that it's super interesting. The only reason I don't agree is that within universe, every single mythology... It, it takes the Percy Jackson right, right? That every single mythology within human history is correct. But it just remains in a certain region. And that's why Christianity in general isn't 
that strong. It's like it is the number one religion within the universe, just like it is mm-hmm. within ours, you know, or at least it's one of the highly contested ones. But it was just it was the the fact that you were the fact that your theory to explain what the Holy Grail War was it was too grounded in Christianity when in reality in their universe every other one probably has more weight to it. For the fact that Gilgamesh, the king of kings, is one of the strongest heroes summoned, but he has no relation to Christianity or anything. I mean, yeah, they're not supposed to represent, like, um, they're not supposed to be, like, they're not supposed to have, like, relations to Christianity. But I think my point that I was trying to get across was, like, I think they're kind of a representation of of different, like, acts in the Bible. Again, I have not read it. I don't really know that much about Christianity as a whole. I can't really speak to that. But to me, the Holy Grail War was a really big... Um, it was an example. I want to say it was an example. I think I'll go with that. Um, for lack of a better word. Of a better word. But, yeah, I mean, like... You were talking about the... That there was a kind of a representation of... What's it called? The Crusades, right? And the fact that it was like one Grail War, two Grail War, three Grail Wars, and each one of them are like a different variant of a Crusade or whatever? Yeah, uh, based on like the wars that happened, I think, way back when, like a few hundred years ago in um, Europe. Um, I don't remember what they were. This was like, this is this is ninth grade history, man. I do not remember. <laughs> yeah. That's a while ago. That's not too bad. All right. So I do want to talk about writer, no, not Archer and Faith, a limited blade work. So I think we might as well put a spoiler. I mean, we've read, we've we spoiled this we, one. We've already spoiled a lot of it, honestly. Yeah. So like the hero, and so the thing about the Holy Grail War is that I kept mentioning the fact that you summon heroes from the past and the future, right? And the hero that was summoned in the war of the protagonist, if it's Faith, Shiro, his friend Rintosaka summoned someone. In, a hero in the archer class and their hero name is Emiya. Shiro Emiya, Kiritsugo Emiya, the hero of Emiya and what that the philosophy embodies. And the first route the hero goes on and continues living his life and eventually he gets to a point where the entire planet considers him a hero and adopts him as like their their embodiment to, pr- to protect humanity as a whole and that means that they give them like this weird supernatural power right but they're pre- effectively they're a servant forever to the will of the planet to protect humans it, this goes back into the whole magic lore stuff which is kind of difficult to understand the point is that gaia because of magic gaia exists and one of because of how how prominent humans are within the planet gaia exists to protect humans and Gaia adopts Emiya, so Shiro Emiya, and gives him a hero, a wish to become a hero. So they it fulfilled Shiro's wish to be a hero. But that means that Emiya would do what they can to preserve humanity as a whole. And that includes killing certain people that would end humanity. For example, there's some people within the planet that would commit genocide, and if it would kill a majority of the people, then it's Emiya's responsibility to remove them, even if it means killing an entire village and whatnot. Which goes back to the philosophy of Emiya, so his dad. And, and that's um, the hero that gets stunned in Emiya. He exists during the exact same time 
as his past self, and Emil's goal is to kill himself because he hates what he became. You know? I liked... I also... Yeah. I also like the parallel between him and Kiritsugo. Because, like, Kiritsugo yeah. went through the same thing, right? He killed his dad for that yeah, reason. Dude. Because his dad was the reason that this whole entire village was, like, all screwed up. And he was like, yeah, I can't I can't have that happen. Bam, bang, bang, you're out. And uh, he's consistently done that. Um, and I remember when he had to kill his own mentor in order to kill a plane that killed someone that was really dangerous. Um... And, it's, yeah, all the Emias have, like, that, that that sense of kill something small for the greater good, which, I don't know. Obviously, it makes sense, but very questionable. It's a really cool addition to the Grail War that you can summon heroes from the future, that it wasn't something, I'm sure that in the original, like, visual novel... That was a mystery that people would have had to figure out. I don't know how well it was made to for the mystery aspect of it, but it's really interesting that in the end, the person that this hero was was one of the participants within the war. So it really goes to show you how time works within that universe that's not linear and whatnot, which is relevant, I think, in the third route, in the um, heavy route. Yeah. But I'm not too sure about that. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I have yet to watch Heaven's Field, but when I do, I'll have, I'll definitely form more opinions about that. I'm sure Heaven's Field is definitely one of the more tragic routes. Unlimited <laughs> Bay works in comparison to Fate Zero is definitely uh, a lot more lighthearted. The kids pop through, but it's enjoyable. The, what it is? Real talk though, um, and my hot take, I wish they didn't kill off Eyeless Veal that early. I actually wanted to see a lot more of her, because once oh, yeah, they killed her off, her. it felt like the show started to decline for me, and then I just didn't feel invested anymore. But for limited, right? Friend this limited, goes back yeah. to the fact that Genaru Bucci picked different aspects of the show to introduce into Fate Zero. For example, Iris Veil in Unlimited or in the Fate Stay is the sister of the protagonist. So effectively, that's the daughter of the main character in the first part. Yeah. he ends up being unable to this goes into a lot of backstory but the point is that his daughter at the end of the war he was not able to see her again because technically he lost the war so the family would not let him see his daughter so he couldn't get and so he ended up raising Shiro because he adopted him but he always felt in his, in his heart he felt awful for abandoning his own daughter and so in Shiro's route in Fate State years later Iris Veil shows up, and we in the Unlimited Bayworks route, we don't see a conclusion to her story. If anything, she just dies without ever Shira realizing that his that his dad is dead. Yeah, that really uh, that kind of got under my skin. Cause like every time she said like Onichan, I was like, Duh, come on, just say something. Yeah, in that route, he never learns who she is. That's uh, that, I'm not gonna lie, that was very frustrating for me. See, I'm the type of person that, like, needs some sort of closure, and, like, when I didn't get that, I was very, I was mad. I was like, oh, come Not on. only that, but, like, the main, the main player against his dad in the in Fate Zero, Kira, right? The guy who pretty much embodied him, but 
not him at the same time because the main people Jira and Kiritsu were the two people within the war that were just just like loved each other yeah they just they just felt that there's something about this guy that's wrong and he's like the number one threat and in another thing where Kira just gets stabbed and dies yeah it's a it's kind of his ending also again after after Iosfield dies, the whole show I think just doesn't become as interesting anymore. I'm not gonna lie to you, um, but because there are some like really BS mechanics that happen, and I'm like, dog, this is just this just this just defies so many things. You can't. Yeah. At this point, there was a, there was definitely this plot armor, and it was so obvious. But I will say, until then, the show was very interesting because it, it was a very quick, it was very fast paced. We were we saw Kira. We knew him from Fate Zero, but we didn't really know what his motivations were this time. There was a lot of cool things about it, but then like after the after dude after Iosfield dies, it just becomes like oh, I don't know. It becomes yeah. a drag. To Unlimited Blade Works one hundred percent focuses on the hero Emiya, the Archer, and who he is and his relationship to his past self. But it doesn't show anything of Iris real or anything of the plot points related to Kiritsugo. It was such an interesting character, and it just like. Yeah, it was very frustrating. I'm not gonna lie. I I was uh, I was a little upset by that. But you know what? It is what it is. I mean, like the the main character itself was really cool. I do wish that they expanded more on the side characters a little more, because I feel like there was a lot that was unanswered and that we could have gotten more of, and it just got boring after a certain point. Um, yeah. so like Unlimited Blade Works definitely, I think. I'm not gonna lie. I think Unlimited Blade Works is still worth the watch just because you can see, um, like the story of Emiya progress. That was that was like my whole perception of what Bla- like Unlimited Blade Works was. Right? It was just the story of Emiya progressing. Uh, but I think that Phase Zero is just marginally better, just because it really focuses in on every character. So there's no one main character, and each character just feels so fleshed out. Like you really see why they do what they do and what they want out of life with the exception of caster because caster will always be a special case but caster still has a special place you know he's like the the wild card that was very important yeah 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 i mean i think that reflects with his character personality too because like for sure for every for every one of them they had like they were very concrete and grounded what they wanted uh but we we just didn't know what caster wanted until like the very end until he died we One just, of the requirements for the Holy Grail War is that they need seven masters and they need seven servants. Yeah. And by the end of, um, no one, no one has summoned a servant, so the seventh possession of the master was left empty, and the guy who ended up summoning Caster, which is the last slot, was a serial killer who found like some some magic tome of his family somewhere and just used it and summoned. Since he didn't have a catalyst to summon a specific hero, like some like some of the other masters, for example, Kiritsugo had the Avalon, which is the sheath of Excalibur, so he used that as a catalyst to summon the King of the King of Night. But the serial killer who summoned Caster had no catalyst, so the Holy Grail War did their best to get a hero from the past who met who matched their personality. Yeah. So they summoned Bluebeard. Yeah, that dude's really uh, screwed up. Uh, I would advise not reading about him. I did, and I was like mentally scarred for life. Um, was like, probably one of the worst exist? people I think who have ever existed, and I'm including like some pretty bad people in here. Um, 
would not recommend reading about him. But it's, uh, I mean, it made sense. It made sense for the story. Yeah. So I was like, yeah. Uh. That's something else that's interesting about Fate is that you can summon heroes in different times of their life. For example, Bluebeard, who was summoned as a caster, right? In the past, he was in arms with, wow, what's, what's the, what's the French? Oh, Joan of Arc. He actually, Joan, uh, yeah. he actually uh, worked under Joan of Arc and was a, um, was a, uh, was a, was a uh, yeah, no, he was, he was Joan of Arc's right-hand man. Um, yeah. he was a big reason why they were able to win the war that, and it was pretty crazy, but I mean, he's obviously a terrible person. So it's he, like, yeah, uh, I think one of the aspects that General Rapucci chose for him was that for the fact that Joan of Arc and King Arthur have a lot of parallels. Yeah, they did. Beard within the show thought that King Arthur was Joan of Arc, so that was his driving. Yeah, his but, his driving force. Yeah, his motivation. Yeah, Bluebeard is summoned in the end of the of the guy's life where he lost Joan of Arc, and so he he considered that God abandoned him and whatever. Yeah. So he fell into depravity. But it's possible with the mechanics of the Holy Grail to summon Bluebeard before he fell into depravity. So during his more noble years quote unquote you know yeah so like i think because you can play with like exactly when they summon um Mm -hmm. i think that's a really interesting thing that uh was definitely explored i think more in fate uh in um unlimited blade works than it was in fate zero but yeah it's pretty interesting yeah for sure so i think that's enough for that there's (laughs) another thing about when people ever mention fate right it's difficult for anyone to get into it because of how large fate as a franchise is. Honestly, I, mean, I wouldn't... I think that if you watch Fate Zero and decide to stop after Fate Zero, I will not blame you one bit. You have done your due diligence of watching Fate. That is my perception of it. Um, I'm a big I'm a big advocate of watching what you want to watch. And, like, because all media is supposed to be consumed by, like what you want to consume versus what you're being forced to consume. Um, so if you want to do fate any justice or like you want to watch fate and you watch fate zero and decide to stop after that, I do not blame them the slightest. I think honestly, if you watch fate zero, you'll get most of it. If you're <laughs> like why it's, you know, why people like it. So. Yeah, exactly. And why it's good and why they're like storing the concept is really, really interesting. If you want to watch more, Go for it. I will not blame you. I, I think yeah. that it's interesting to keep watching. But after you watch, for example, Unlimited Blade Works, if you want to watch the route I did, or if you want to watch like Fate Stay Night, the original one, wouldn't recommend it. I've heard it's very bad. Uh, but if you want to watch it, and if you want to stop after that, I don't blame you either. It's, I feel like Fate as a whole is really big, but it's also extremely repetitive because... It follows a line of you can go through three different routes, and there's not one one right route. Um, in the sense that, like for example, if you, you can, instead of watching Unlimited Blade Works, you could watch Heaven's Field, and that is acceptable. You could watch something else. I think there were Fate Stay Night, Unlimited Blade Works, and Heaven's Field, right? You could watch yeah. um, Unlimited Blade Works instead of the other two. That's still correct. You're not, like, missing out on that much. You can still watch Heaven's Feel later if you want to, if you're still interested in the story, but you don't have to. Because there is, like, a very final conclusion-esque feel after you watch uh, Unlimited Blade Works. At least for me, after I finished uh, Unlimited Blade Works, I felt like, okay, you know what? 
to me, the show is done. I don't need to watch more, and I felt like there was no need. And I think for a lot of people, it might be the same way. might not. I don't know. But with Fate, I don't think anyone should be scared getting into Fate just because of how big it is. Just mainly because, like, you can really stop at any point. There's a lot of points where you can be like, I'm done, and that's really okay. Because you don't... Because it's basically a rendition of the same thing again and again and again. And so it's... Sure, at least the Fate stayed three rounds, but... Let's not forget that there's also a Fate Go game. There's a, there's different. There's a Fate at at the Raxia, which is pretty much Fate Fanfic. I think that's the one. Yeah. Which was which is another anime that came out a couple of years back. But I I don't. Know. It's the one with Astolfo, by the way. If anyone's familiar, <laughs> the, the dude like wrote a woman and said that's a guy. What the heck? <laughs> yeah, there's um, fake. There's another one where the lead is Iris Real, so his so Shiro's sister. And in that one, they are magical girls who are collecting cards of servants. So the franchise itself is massive. The ones that we've mentioned are the bare bones, but oh, yeah. I haven't gone. There's also like the video this. game, isn't there? And that was like supposedly yeah. canon and whatnot. Basical. Yeah. I mean, things are canon, whatever, right? It's just, it's massive. It's just big. I mentioned that one of my favorite ones because I respect the author that's behind it. It's similar to the Kenorobuchi event in which this guy saw fate and he saw the premise and he's like can i write something within your universe right he went up to them because it's copyright so he can't write anything without asking for permission oh yeah he got so, permission yeah he got permission to write a light novel on or to write a story with the premise of fate but another author who also really liked the premise of fate his name is Ryo, Ryogo Narita, which I've mentioned in previous episodes. He's the guy who wrote Duvara and Bakura, whatever, right? He's really good at writing stories where you can say that the location that they're at is a character. Like, the city itself is alive, and there's and every single person interacts in a way that affects someone someone else within the story. And in a way, in methods that are not clear at first, which is some the reason why this guy probably ended up deciding to, to ask if he could write a fake story is because there's seven heroes, seven servants, right? And they get summoned in a specific place, and then there's seven masters to go along with those servants. So he's really good at writing that connection to people. I know that you didn't really vibe too well with Durarara or Bakano. I didn't, you, um, and I feel really bad because, like, I get a lot of shit for it, I'm not gonna lie. I'm not just from you. <laughs> I, um... I, a lot of people that I've taught, one of my friends, actually, I was playing Apex with some friends yesterday, and we were talking about anime, and, uh, he, I, he loves Bakano, and Diara, <laughs> and so we were talking, and then he was, I told them, yeah, I don't like Bakano, and they just started flipping out on me, so, you should have said you don't like Bakano, okay, you don't like the vibe, yeah, I, so I told them, like, I just didn't resonate with it, I gave it a fair chance of up to, I think, what was it, like, five episodes, and I just like, I just, bad. I just couldn't, I couldn't keep going. And, uh, That's fair. I don't know. It's not for everyone. Uh, it's, I think it's a very neat, it, it's not, it's like, it's like Western with like super, uh, supernatural urban fantasy and yeah, it can sure. feel convoluted, especially with like Bacchano, just cause like each, each episode is from a different perspective. And then like in that it's like super confusing, but it all like comes together towards the end. I'm not a huge fan of those just cause like. It just feels, it feels like I really have to focus. Like, I have to, like, put all yeah, my attention on it, and that's kind of annoying. Um, I mean, it's not bad, but, like, 
it's yeah, definitely. You you mentioned that some of your friends like it, and obviously there's it has a following. People definitely there's something within it. I'm pretty sure like all my friends like it. I'm probably the only oh, one who does it. You're the outlier. I'm pretty sure like my like my best friend he likes it. Um, the people I was playing with yesterday they both like it. I don't know. I feel like everyone likes Bakano but me. So it's a it's a weird situation to be in. The English dub, but if you're gonna watch Bakano, it has to be the English dub, dude. They have New Yorker accents. I I've heard the accents are fantastic. Um, I'm not a big fan of English dub. The only English dub that I would ever recommend is probably Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood because I think the English dub for Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood is unreal. It's so good. So, but I'll if I ever actually decide to watch Bakano. Yeah, if I ever decide to watch Bakano, I'll watch it in English dub. Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, it's whatever, man. But I, I, I like this author, and he wrote a story of faith within the universe, which is Fate, Strange Fate. Oh, yeah, we talked I really this. enjoy it. Hopefully, it gets an anime rendition, because I feel like, narratively, this is another one of the strong points of the Fate franchise, which capitalizes very well on this, and the author's experience of shows where he gets a location, and then he writes the story through the pretty much character being the action place. For example, Dorara has Ikebukuro over in Japan, and Ikebukuro itself is the character, and everyone that happens around there happens around Ikebukuro, and he's pretty good at urban supernatural fantasy, and faith is a, a, a sub 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 genre of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of I mean, it's a good. It's probably in a couple of years maybe we get an anime rendition of it. Who knows? I'm reading the manga right now. I enjoy very much Waver, for example, is within is in this story. He was going to summon King Alexander, so his current goal as an adult is that he wants to meet his king again, right? He wants to meet Alexander. So he was going to participate in one more war just so he could hopefully get his king to, and grant his wish to bring him back to life, right? But within this show, I, you mentioned like he's uh, one of the most respected professors at the academy, and one of his students hears about the war, and steals steals his garnet and goes to the war and summons the hero. <laughs> That's pretty funny. So Waver takes a backseat and he's just over there freaking out because this student is one of the most promising students he's ever had, but he's difficult to deal with to the point that every other professor has given up on him. Except him, of course, you know? Yeah, that's kind of interesting. I'm like, who would that? Yeah. The story itself is... I'll watch everything. I'll watch everything. It happens a couple years later for this war, and the premise for this one are, like, the idea is that it happens after the, the Grail War of Shiro and whatever, right? The fifth one after the fifth one, so technically it's the sixth one. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't happen in Japan, like the rest of the ones. This one happens in America, and that's because America, during the third war of the Holy Grail War, noticed that this was a thing and they replicated it right initially the goal of the grail war is to use the holy grail to grant the wish right but america saw and as america does they saw that the servants are the star players within the war because they're a nuclear class kind of weapon right so they replicated the war only so they could capture the servants and use them as well yeah, I find that kind of funny. That's so America. <laughs> it fits so well. But they couldn't... They grow war. They grow choose the servants or masters themselves, right? And because it was an improper replicate, 
of the actual realm, America couldn't get only Americans in it. So some of the characters are not affiliated with America. They're affiliated with like third parties. For example, Waver, his student, ended up becoming a master. Yeah. And he's like the wild card. Actually, his servant, he's, he used a replica. He thought his master gave him, gave him a catalyst to participate in the war because he just... He just misunderstood exactly what he was, what Waver was trying to tell him. So he he took with him a replica of a knife that was supposed to be of um, what's his name, Jack the Ripper. So oh. he summoned. He used a replica knife of Jack the Ripper to summon the Berserker class Jack the Ripper. Oh, but the thing about this is that he didn't summon the exact. Jack the Ripper because of how improper the Grail War was. He summoned a version of Jack the Ripper that the current society views. So they view Jack the Ripper as some, like, us. not, see, Jack the Ripper doesn't have a name, right? No one was ever to figure out who this person was. So the version that was summoned from this replica is a Jack the Ripper that doesn't know who he is. Well, he knows he's killed by prostitutes or whatever. So it doesn't have a form. And the wish for Jack the Ripper is, I, wa- I want to know who I am, which goes along with the student, and the student doesn't know who he wants to become, you know? Yeah. So they, they, they match each other. So it's really interesting. He, another one of, an, another main key player is Hercules gets summoned again. So the hero, the servant of Irisville, so the sister of Shiro, her yeah. servant gets summoned again. But he gets summoned with the memories of what happened during the fourth one, and what's his name? Um, Gilgamesh also gets summoned. So, Hercules gets summoned, but he gets summoned in a different class mm-hmm. because he gets summoned without his godly divinity because he rejects what happened during the during the Fourth Great War because he couldn't protect Irishville. Oh, so I his goal, yeah, his goal throughout the story is to get revenge uh, for Irishville, and that's to kill Gilgamesh or whatever. So that's um, his current situation. Also, it's interesting to kind of servants that authors can just pick and write stories about for example gilgamesh becomes a more sympathetic character within this this war because ayn kito mm-hmm. his his friend gets summoned are you familiar with the with, with gilgamesh and his lord by any chance gilgamesh not really i just know he was a really famous yeah. like conqueror but that's about it yeah so within gilgamesh it's like forget like what story he's from but he, he considers to only have one true friend, and this one true friend gets summoned within the Holy Grail War. Oh, dude, that's so, so cool. What? Yeah, so he gets to meet his friend again, and it's super... They have a bromance, dude, it's crazy. Wait, is this all in Fate Stay Fake, right? Yeah, Fate Stay Strange Fake, whatever. Strange yeah. Fake, okay. I might take a look at that. It actually sounds kind of cool. It's, it's really good. Once again, the author sees characters within the previous installments and he decides to expand on their story and Gilgamesh gets kind of a resolution to what he was back when he was human you know yeah I see what because you're he gets to see his friend again yeah and you get to see him laugh and enjoy himself and not hate everything around him that's really cool actually I like that yeah there's a lot of interesting things I mean if you can the manga isn't the manga updates sporadically it's not even close to finishing, and only recently was the seven, seven master. Oh, it's not. It's not. Seven. It hasn't been animated yet, right? No, nah, it's dude. It might be animated like eight years from now, man. That is very like, unfortunate. 
there's like no news about it. Hell, it might, might not never be animated. Who knows? I mean, Fate as a franchise is massive. Yeah, it's right? really big. And it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a cash cow. There's a lot of money people can make from it. Oh, yeah. Because you can keep, in theory, you can have the story like just go never ending <laughs> if you really yeah, wanted I know, right? to. I think like it plays on like that trope like so many anime are doing now. Like Tower of God, for example, could go never ending. Tower of God's pretty good, but but uh, but yeah, Fate Fate could definitely just keep expanding. There's so much you can do with it. Massive fan base. Yeah, there's a huge fan base too. I know a lot of people, dude. A lot of people are just like are obsessed with and like just drool over Fate, which like. I, I get why, but, like, I don't know. I think I think the anime is good. For what it is, I think it. I think the story is fantastic for at least Fate Zero. I think that um, the concept was so cool, but it really does get repetitive. And uh, that's, like, I think what it suffers from the most. And yeah, Small Dose is pretty good, you know? That's yeah. why I've decided that Fate Zero... Fate Stay, whatever the three routes, and then this Fate, the one written by Ryogo Narita, in my opinion, are the only Fates that I'm gonna consume. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's actually worth consuming all the rest. <laughs> That's it's also a big time commitment, so it's like, uh, I don't know if it's worth it. I know Bio, I think last season a couple of Fate stories from the game, so Fate Goals got animated. And supposedly those are good, but honestly, those are for like the hardcore fans. Like, I'm not, I'm not gonna watch an advertisement for a goddamn mobile game. Yeah, I'm not trying to do that I'm either. Good. I have, uh, yeah. I have, I have Kakushigoto and uh, Yesterday to watch instead. Yeah, you know what? Let's, let's finish this uh, this episode by 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 talking about what you're watching or what. Yeah, you know what? The new season has started, and um, I guess we can wrap this up on a light note. We talked about a lot of heavy concepts today, and. I think with uh, with the new season starting and like with what's happening in the world right now, we can end it on like a lighter, more fun note, and I think that's important. Yeah. Um, right now I'm watching the anime that I told Francisco to watch, and I'm so glad mm-hmm. he is. Kagushi Goto. It's probably my favorite anime right now, favorite seasonal anime. It's a uh, it's about a dad and a daughter. It's about a single dad and his um his wife, I think, has passed away. We don't know why. Yeah, we don't know how. It's not super, like, apparent, and, um, so it's about him raising his daughter, and it's, it's one of the sweetest and most, like, it'll both make you, it'll make you cry laugh, it'll make you, like, tear up, but it'll also make you, like, die of laughter, because it's really funny, but it's also, like, really, really emotional, it's the perfect blend of the both. Um, it's really good, because I, I mean... Within the first couple of episodes, it's already clear that even the dad passed away, you know? Okay, that's a huge spoiler, man. <laughs> oh, don't that's say like at the end of episode one. I know, but still don't say anything. But, um... Uh, it's good. Oh, uh, that was a huge spoiler, whatever. Whatever. Um... It's a really good one for it's that a, exact it's, reason. It's, it's really good. Um, if you've watched Asobi Asobase, it has a lot of, like... It's very, very similar in terms of animation. Um, so it has, like, very, like, light, really, like, up, like, bright, uh, bright, like, really, really bright animation. So it's, like, it's very, it's very fun. Like, you can tell it's fun. Um, we're all, I think, you know what, I'm gonna say we, because I think we're watching the same exact shows. Um, 
Yeah, we're we're, tr- I'm trying to watch most of the things you're watching. I think the only thing that you're watching that I'm not, and I will start watching soon, is Gleipnir, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> that um, goddamn. We'll we'll talk about it later. Um, that one's difficult. I I think we're also wa- we're also watching yesterday, and yesterday is so good. It's just Crow Girl is a whole vibe. Oh my god! But yeah, more than that, it's just like it's it's very real. It's a very grounded and down to earth anime, and I think in an age of where like um the whole isekai is like a big thing and like going to another dimension and whatnot like it's really nice like once a week to honestly just slow down and for 25 minutes just think about like what life is you know i don't know it's just it's, it's really fulfilling show anime dude it's everyone in there doesn't know what they're doing yeah and they just the reason you mentioned it's why it's real it's because no one in there has a knows what what's going on they don't know what their future is going to be and it's huge on first love and romance and how difficult that is i think it's beautiful it kind of captures that like that essence of like oh my god what do i do um and these guys like, sometimes just drop crazy quotes on us and i'm like why why do you have to be so real right yeah it's, it's a... specifically there was a guy who mentioned i think he was the protagonist or at least one of the main characters he has a co-worker he's like you never you never went for something because you were too afraid to it's like the guy's just reading manga and he like says the, says that the reason why you graduated college and then you're still and you're working at this like this, dude um, the main character is a, is the biggest book. he's just he's just a tsundere man like let's be let's be real here yeah <laughs> that's what I, he is but like i think he's also like he's a really real character though because like i feel like he's pursuing someone that or he's pursuing an idea, almost, of something, or someone, that he kind of knows that he has to move on from. Um, and I think, like, one of the biggest takeaways from that show so far for me is, and I, I resonated with it so much, is um, the fact that you have to move on. And, like, moving on is a yeah. really, really important step in not only, like, recovery, but also just your life in general and i think this anime just yeah, captures that's, that's that so the, well you got that you got that really spot on and most of the main leads have something they have to move on past you know yeah and i think it's really beautiful that it's kind of it's kind of it's shown fantastically in this anime and i think i i i, I think i can speak for the both of us i think when i say when when i say we can you guys should definitely watch this anime it's worth it um it's definitely not. I, I personally feel like it's not a bingeable show. I think it's perfect in small doses. It's heavy, man. It's, it's heavy. very heavy. Yeah, yeah. Each episode, like, really, it makes you think. Like after afterwards, you kind of sit and you're like, whoa, like, what did I just watch? Like the last yeah, episode, like, really. Feels really long. Oh my god. Twenty four minutes. I mean, it feels really long. It it feels really long. And like, I don't know. Like this last episode, after I watched it, I had to like sit back and was like, whoa, that's that's a lot. Um. And then, what's another anime we're watching? Tower of God. <laughs> Can't believe I didn't mention that one. Tower of God. Um, AKA. The, the biggest simp. No, um, <laughs> um, I, uh, I think Tower of God is really good. I am not also, like, the pacing is just sporadic, and I'm not a huge fan I, of that. I think it's good. I think it's 
I think because like the first episode pacing was terrible, and then the second one was like good, and but it's progressively getting better, and that's what I've noticed with the show. Yeah, like dude. each episode is getting better and better and better. The last episode has been like it killed. I think it was really good, and I could definitely see the show going far. What? That episode definitely the best when it comes to pacing. Like, oh, one hundred percent. There was just there was a lot of information, but it was like cut down. Like it was almost cut down for us. So it was very digestible. And every the characters, there was a lot. That went with their actions they already told us who they are as, as people you know yeah that made it really special um yeah it was one of those episodes that went really quick that you just just wanted to get to the next one yeah i was definitely craving for the next one because like i felt like it was perfectly paced and then it ended on a really good like really high note and um i'm excited dude I, honestly like every wednesday it's just my thing now like i just look forward to tower of god great show um ost fantastic fantastic <laughs> The OST, guy, the guy dude, I have the OST people. on repeat. Yeah. Would recommend. Um, you, know, you know who um, the director is for the OST, right? Who is it? So, like, the composer, the musical composer in charge of Made in Abyss is also the same guy who's doing the music composition for Power of God. Yeah. And his music for Made in Abyss, phenomenal. And just like you mentioned, you have it on repeat. And to this day, I'm still waiting for the official OST to drop. Because there's this, I mean, you mentioned OST, but you're probably, like, listening to the opening, right? On I'm repeat? Like, I'm listening to the OPED, and, like, I, I like listening to the themes as well, but I listen to them on yeah, YouTube, because they don't have them on Spotify or any streaming platform. Yeah, the, the legit OST is not yet on Spotify. Yeah. But I'm waiting, there's this, there's this one OST that played on episode one that really got me. Mm-hmm. Just, like, at the end of Made in Abyss. The OC that played when the sun was rising, and then you were able to see the abyss pretty much. Yeah. That 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 solidified that this show was amazing, and just like that, in episode one, there's this OC that plays that solidified. I need to continue watching this show. I don't know what this music is trying to tell me, but whatever it's trying, to, whatever it's trying to express, I'm really vibing with it. Yeah, I see what you're saying. It's a, it was this moment where Bam, the protagonist, was just got into the tower he, he passed the entrance exam or whatever and he was surrounded by he was in the fields right and then well, he's, uh, yeah uh, i know i know exactly they, what you're talking about yeah you know the scene yeah i know exactly what you're talking about yeah that movie was really yeah. it was like it was really suspenseful so you kind of like it made you look forward to the next episode and you're like damn now yeah. you, like it got yeah. you hyped and that was the most important thing yeah that that specific OC has been replayed as of then so I'm wondering what the what the life motif of that actually represents you know yeah that's what you're saying yeah so that's that's good that's um those are three of the main shows we're watching the other one that I'm watching was Glepnir which is really erotic and uh, Glepnir is like it's weird because I've only heard good things about it so far I want to watch it. Oh well, I, well, Francisco not watching this. I'm watching Kaguya-sama season two. Like, uh, like literally everyone else, I feel like. Great, honestly, season two is a killer. I think that they're killing it. I think it's much better than season one. Um, that's my hot take. I think that season two I is saw really Kaguya good. So season far. one recently. I'm probably I keep forgetting to watch it. I should get on it. I'm gonna be real here. I think Kaguya is great, but I think it's a show that like, and it's very easy to binge, but also like. My advice is to, like, watch the first season. And, like, like not everyone will agree with this. Um, most people won't. But 
Um, I found this I found this to be nice, and I think I think you should try it if you want to. Um, watch the first season and then take a break, and then watch the second season because um, the way the show is, it can just be too much sometimes, and um, you might get burnt out really quick. Um, it's, it's a really it, unique show. I it is, yeah. The rom com, the author is really smart, and yeah, so the stuff aren't stereotypes; they're their own archetypes. They fit very well. Yeah. No, for sure. One of, good I, there was a really good episode where it was this difficult moment in most of other manga. It was just they would not even talk about it. It was that moment where the guy gets in bed with the with with the female lead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Uh, oh, I don't want to spoil anything for season two, but okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about, and like something similar happens again. That's all I'll say. Um. It's it, yeah they play they play on the tropes really really well in the show and that that makes it really fun to watch. I've heard the manga is excellent. I have a few friends who are watching it. Um, shout out to Ethan, shout out to Will. They uh they are big fans of the manga. Um, Ethan actually told me to read the manga. I uh, have not done that yet, but uh, I don't think I will. But we'll see. Um, and I think uh, yeah, it's, I think all the seasonal anime we're watching. I'm also watching Westworld. If anyone's into that. AI, existentialism, anything philosophy-related, I love. Westworld, fantastic show. I know we're, it's not an anime, but I would still recommend it. Um, I mean, just lots of things you enjoy, you know? Yeah, exactly. Sorry. I like narrative. Um, I'm watching Drifters right now. Um, I'm on episode oh, yeah, three. Going to get through two episodes, hopefully, today. I'm going to try to finish it by... I'm hoping Sunday, depending on if I watch, like, two episodes a day um it all depends on my schedule uh but yeah i'm hoping to finish it soon um and then after yeah, drifters, you want to talk about drifters in the next episode like I, I like drifters a lot. yeah i don't mind talking about drifters i think i think the first two episodes were really interesting i think there's so like in the first two episodes itself there's like a million stuff to talk about um so yeah, i feel like they're cool definitely very it's very interesting i think we can talk about it i don't mind um I have a lot of people talking about drifters too so it might be yeah um okay i guess well we got our new York's next episode in that case um so that's that that's that's uh what we've been up to uh we hope you guys are all staying safe those are recommendations if you are bored or want to watch anything new please like feel free to watch any of those um i uh yeah yeah we we hope that you're staying safe and sane in these times we know it can be hard and we're hoping that our podcast can at least like kind of help alleviate that like boredom and um maybe you guys have something like we can we can provide something cool for you guys to listen to when you're like working or out white noise, or doing yeah. something or yeah, yeah we can just, we can just be white back. noise and then while you're studying uh i'm i'm a big fan of that so i would always recommend it um thanks for listening to us guys hope you have a good one and um we'll see you in the next one the next episode will be about drifters bye. so yeah, yeah drifters. all right bye guys yeah.